listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. My name's Brittany. If I haven't met you, I am the PM pastor. Um, And yeah, delighted to be able to share tonight with you. Um, I have had quite an interesting week. I moved house, um, which is always fun, yeah. Um, I've been in my previous house for about five years. I felt like God was saying, okay, it's time, time for a change, time to move. I'm like, all right. And um, how many people rent here? Yeah, you know the journey, that wonderful, that wonderful line of getting out of one house and then finding another, which is usually within days or weeks when it happens. Um, so I've been through that over the past little week. Um, it's been really exciting. I've been looking forward to it. Um, and God's been saying, yeah, I'm going to do something new in this place. It's going to be really good. And I'm like, yes, looking forward to that. Um, some of the realities of moving have really hit, though, I will admit. Um, currently, my room is basically um, like a forest of boxes. And then there's my bed in the center. Um, and so what that means is in the morning when I get up to do something, everything takes longer because I can't find anything. So even to brush my teeth, I'm like, where's my toothbrush? How do I find that? Okay, where's the bathroom? Okay, who's going to be in there at what time? Because I don't know these schedules. They're new people. Um, so yeah, it's been a little bit, a little bit rough. Um, and I just feel like there's this sense of forming new pathways. You know, when you're at home, you just kind of know what you do. You get up, you've got your routines. But I've got to create new pathways for everything. Even driving here, I almost turned the wrong direction. I was like, okay, wait a minute. But God's like, actually, I'm going to do something new. And, uh, you know, there's this sense and excitement to live with new people. What will that look like? And it's been a little bit unsettling in that. But God has said to me, do you know what, Britt? There's things that have happened in the last five years, things that I've marked in you, pathways I've formed that are actually going to be used in this new season, in this new time. Um, And so you don't have to worry about it when those times come, those pathways will lead you and guide you because that's what I've been doing in your life. And I'm like, oh, whew, that's good. And something really exciting. And I just realized that as God was talking to me about this, that actually this is what he's doing in a lot of us at the moment. I love being a part of a community and a family. When God does something in me, often you'll see that he does things similar in other people because we are gathered together and he's doing something new and wanting us to walk in new ways. And so... Tonight, I'm not going to share anything completely new. I'm not going to talk about Lent and a new um, thing to, you know, give up. I'm actually going to talk about what God's been doing in the last six weeks. We are five weeks, sorry. We're in our sixth week of Lent. um, And there's something that kind of happens in this moment where initially it's been really hard to kind of get into those routines of fasting and praying regularly. But a lot of those voices, a lot of the things that kind of vied for your attention, they've kind of quieted down. Um, The things that you went to as your default are no longer the case. Um, And so there's almost this, yeah, change. There's this movement. And I just want to ask you tonight and explore that together of what is God actually saying in those spaces? Because it's often those times his voice gets a little bit louder because the other things no longer take that place um, of your attention. And so I'm actually going to, yeah, explore that with you. And felt led to, as I read one of the readings for this coming week, which is from Isaiah 43. Um, And so I'll get you to get the Bibles that are in front of you out, and we'll turn there. It's on page 503. I'm actually going to have a particular version of the passage up on the screen as well, but we will explore Isaiah 43. So I encourage you to keep that out. 
Before we jump into that though, I'd really like to pray and ask Holy Spirit to show us and speak to us about what he's been doing over the last five weeks. So please join me as I do that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you are here with us now. That you're alive and active and a part of the way you've been made, Holy Spirit, is to bring revelation, to bring conviction, to bring light and life. And so we just ask right now that you would show us where you've been at work, that you'd bring to mind things that you have been drawing up in us, conversations we've had, words we've read if we sat, as we've sat in your word. May you show us what you're up to, where your people are ready and listening. Amen. So Isaiah is a fantastic book. It is one of the first of the major prophets in the Bible. It's not a historical account. It's not just teaching, and it's not Isaiah preaching. It's actually a prophetic book. So that makes sense. It, there would be prophecy in it. Um, so he actually, Isaiah kind of paints a picture. Um, he talks about overcoming things. He talks about hope, comfort, and restoration, all things that actually reflect God's heart. And so when we read Isaiah, the words we hear are um, reflections of what God wants to do with his people time and again. It's really interesting. I was doing Tried Basics a couple of weeks ago and we did an Isaiah passage. And as we're reading it through, it was crazy to think and hear Jesus' words in that. And I love that in Isaiah. You often hear what Jesus said and you often hear about who Jesus is. Um, In the text, Isaiah was an incredible man who had the ability to see far into the future, but also to speak into the present where he was with the Israelites at that point and also into the past. He draws them all together. And so as we come to this word, I want to encourage you to actually approach it in a way and recognize that actually it's alive and we'll probably speak into your life right now because that's what it's designed to do as it draws us into the story. So we're going to read Isaiah 43, 16 to 21. It says, Yahweh is the one who makes a way in the sea, a pathway in the mighty waters. He destroyed chariots and horses and all their mighty warriors. They fell, never to rise again, gone forever, snuffed out like a wick. This is what he says. Stop dwelling on the past. Don't even remember those former things. I am doing something brand new, something unheard of. Even now it sprouts and grows and matures. Don't you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and open up flowing streams in the desert and rivers in the wilderness to satisfy the thirst of my people, my chosen ones, so that you, whom I have shaped and formed for myself, will proclaim my praise. As I said, Isaiah, um, as a prophet, has this ability to speak into the past, present, and the future. And so when we read this particular little section, there's a few things in there that might trigger some thoughts or memories if you've grown up reading the Old Testament, particularly that first little bit um, that talks about making a way in the sea and pathways through water and the chariots and horses being um, overcome by that. It's actually a reference to um, Exodus when the Israelites were taken through the Red Sea. Um, and they escaped um, Pharaoh, which is what Lydia mentioned uh, before when we were going to do Passover. It's a remembering of that story. But they don't just represent that moment. What Isaiah is doing here is telling us that actually this is something that happens regularly. Um, You see that throughout the Old Testament. Time and again, the Israelites are drawn and taken through different things, and God comes to rescue them. So even in Babylon, they need rescuing. Um, And Jesus is the culmination of that as someone who comes down and rescues us. And so 
there's actually moments time and again where we see God coming down and reenacting the Red Sea crossing. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but he, he keeps doing that. That's part of his nature. He can't stop it because he loves us and wants to see us freed from these bondages that we find ourselves in. I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes it feels like God is just relentlessly pursuing us. There's things in our lives that he just wants to go after. And I was having a chat to a friend the other day who was like, yeah, but I just feel like there's just some areas that you're like, yeah, God, I'll I'll give you that part and this part. And he's like, yeah, but I want that bit. Because he knows actually what what we're captive to and he wants to be a part of every element of that. And so as he comes down, as he frees us from different things, we get to see his hand in that time and again, just as he took the Israelites through the Red Sea. And over Lent, I don't know if you've noticed, but things maybe have felt a little bit more intense. Maybe you've been much more aware of actually what you've been captive to. have been having conversations with different people and this can look quite different. Um, some people have really noticed the way that God's been talking about identity. And the enemy has actually been using some lies on repeat and it's becoming really yeah, um, loud at this point. But I actually see that as a gift because it's God showing you the lie that that's there and wanting to free you from that. But actually there's been people who have found themselves overcome by emotion. So something I've experienced myself of tears that can't be explained. That in this time there's a sense in which you get to see what God's actually up to and your need and desire for someone to come down to create a pathway in that sea for you to walk through. This is what he's doing over Lent, where he's making ways in the wilderness. And it's really interesting, if you look at that story in Exodus, it's not like God was like, cool, I'm just going to lift the sea out of your way, everything's going to be fine, we'll go a different direction. He's like, actually, I'm going to go right through it, which is probably not what you thought was going to happen. And I know if I was an Israelite, I was like, probably, can you make something that we float across on, or maybe we could fly over, or you know, be more like Jesus, walk across it. Um, God's actually in the business of showing us and making pathways in places we wouldn't even imagine. And it's powerful. But there's always a choice that we have to step into that, to trust him in that. Earlier on in Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 3, it says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you over. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. God's methods of deliverance is often not out of, but through. Sometimes in our life, I think our prayers kind of end up being like, God, just take me out of this situation. I just really want to escape it. Or can you just do something when actually God's like, no, I'm right there with you. I'm in this. Can you see this path I'm creating? Walk behind me. Trust me in this. You don't have to run from it. Let's walk through it. His presence as we go through difficulties becomes our deliverance. And I think some people here today need to hear that, that he hasn't abandoned you, even though it may feel that way, but actually that he's walking right with you through that water. And he holds it up. He keeps you safe in that. He's forging new pathways. He's doing a new thing. I've also had different conversations with people, and this comes up regularly, not just during Lent, but moments where we feel like we're actually in the same place. And this is one of the enemy's favorite moves, to make you think that actually you haven't gone anywhere, that God hasn't done anything. You're back where you started. 
And he does it in two different ways. He gets us to dwell on the past and brings back memories of times when we found things hard. He tries to recreate a scene or a struggle. It's almost like putting us, if we were an Israelite, back in front of the Red Sea again, being like, see, you haven't actually gotten anywhere. The second one is actually taking us into the future. He'll start an idea or a fear in you with just a word to be like, yeah, but what if this happens? And then because actually of the time and place we live in, we're very good at latching onto our, um, that sense of news and it kind of just spreading and things becoming, I call it catastrophizing, I'm quite good at it. Um, but it's because that's what our media does to us. One little thing happens and it's this huge story and so our pathways are quite good at being like, oh, well this could happen, which could lead to this, which could mean this, and next minute we're just down this huge long track, completely distracted, but that's what the enemy does. And so he says, you haven't gone anywhere. Look what will happen if you step out. Look what happened in the past. But actually it's not true. It's because we think of our lives in a linear fashion, but that's actually not how our lives are wired. We're actually going deeper every time we encounter these moments. Um, it's like looking at a coil. You're actually going deeper into this relationship with God and the enemy wants you to think that that's not the case. He wants to fool you. And so in these moments where it feels like you might be in the same place, you're not. But God's inviting deeper trust, a deeper knowing of who he is. And the enemy distorts it because he knows that if you break through, if you remember actually what God's done in the past, that's going to release more of the kingdom. That's going to release more of Holy Spirit. And he does everything he can to intimidate you, stop you from doing that. And the way to step into that is actually by being fully present. Not thinking about what's going to happen in the future, because we actually can't control that. Not thinking about what's happened in the past, because we can't change that. But what you can do is remain in the present. That's a lot of what Lent does to us, brings us back time and again. God, what are you doing? What are you saying? In the present, you have the ability to obey, to choose to say yes to God. That's actually in your hands. That's all you have to offer, the here and now. Not what you're going to do, nor what you've done. Actually, God, I want to offer you right now what I have and be obedient in that. It's also that same space that you can receive and hear from him. If we're thinking about the future, we put our own ideas and thoughts onto it, or the past, it's still us reading the situation. Whereas in the present, God can say, actually, this is what I want to do right now. This is what I want to create. And sometimes when we hear something from God in those moments where we can be present to him, it's really powerful because it's like he highlights a pathway we hadn't even seen before. It can take just one word, which will open up a complete new way to move forward in. And that's really valuable. He wants to create these streams in the wilderness to help us see that actually there's ways out of what is going on or there's a sense in which he's with you in what's going on in your world. Kenneth Boer says that when we focus on the one decision, situation, task or opportunity before us rather than worrying about the next one or a whole day of them, then obeying God and living in his presence becomes less overwhelming. We start to see as God sees. Part of how God teaches us to do this is through the regular Bible reading. With his spirit and word alive in you, God can enable even small bits of his truth to transform you one thought, one word, one action at a time. What you have been doing over Lent, what you have been engaging in, whether it's been a daily practice, a putting down of something, a picking up of something else, 
each little step, each little choice to listen to God, to choose his truth, to walk more in the ways that he is calling you, has an impact. It's transforming you and it's transforming your heart. This is a part of him making new pathways for us. This repetition, that's how pathways are formed as you walk over them time and again. That's what happens in our mind as we do behaviors over and over again. They form these pathways that become easier. As I was preparing for this message, God gave me an image. And he talked about the fact that what's happening over the Lent is that he is creating pathways in our hearts, that he is doing a deep work of the spirit, that when we surrender to that, it's like he carves a new path in our heart. And that pathway is actually God's faithfulness. Because then let me get to those points where we realize, actually, I can't do this. I need you, God. That's when Holy Spirit steps in and goes, yeah, this is the way. And a path is formed. That's what he's doing right now, creating all these pathways. That we would be marked by him, just as the Israelites were in a similar way. It's the same story he's putting on our hearts as it was for them so long ago. Dallas Willard says that spiritual transformation is achieved by the ministry of the Spirit in the midst of necessarily, necessary and well-directed efforts. So this spiritual transformation that is happening, you are partaking and participating in that by being obedient to what God asks you in those moments. It comes together, being present to him. And over this Lent period, as I'm having conversations with people, I also realize that there's an excitement in this because there's a sense in which you're experiencing God in a new way or you're hearing from him in a new way. These things are landing. Things are kind of coming together after the few weeks. Passages you've heard are being repeated or opportunities you've had to pray for people have really brought things out and to light, not just for them but for you. Or, yeah, God is just speaking and moving and we're getting a taste of it and it's something that's really exciting. It's like it says in the passage in verse 19, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I feel like we're beginning to see it. And this taste, this desire for something more is really important as followers of Jesus. Simon Ponsonby says that this desire for more of God is a sign of spiritual health. The mature want more. We recognize that a marriage where one partner no longer desires intimacy is in trouble. That a baby who no longer wants to eat is sick, that a bird who no longer wants to fly is crippled. And so we must recognize also that a Christian who no longer wants to know, grow, hear, see, touch, serve, love, and be changed by God is also in trouble, sick and crippled. The more I have, the more I want is not merely a reflection of 21st century consumerism, but rather the authentic cry of the true believer. God is awakening us to more. Again, I was in Triad Basics a couple of weeks ago, and someone said something that was quite profound, that fact that during Lent you realise, again, what those hungers are, those struggles are, but often when you get down to it and you sit with God, you still feel like there's a bit of a, a restlessness. And actually, we are designed that way. We'll never fully be at peace until we're with God. That restlessness that you feel, that hunger for more, that desire to change, to see more of God, is the way you've been wired, and it's good. And you're meant to pursue that and recognize that you're meant to pursue God in it. There are many people who have gone before us who have followed that, who have longed for a closer walk with God, who have had a taste and said, I want more. Marked by holy discontent, their search wasn't in vain. People like John Wesley, 
so well known after years of fruitful gospel ministry and personal moral defeat, his heart, as we've heard so many times, was strangely warm. This experience of God was just the beginning of something. But that anointing that happened in that, in that very moment was significant for him. He moved from understanding his faith, not just as, as a slave, but actually as a son of God. And it drove him to apostolic authority and ministry that was quite profound. We've read about it, we know about it. It's part of our history. In the 18th century as well, Jonathan Edwards entered a time of experiencing God. It's like he said he met Jesus fresh. He saw the beauty and majesty of who he was, the power of what his life, death, and resurrection meant. And this changed the trajectory of his whole life. It was the beginning of something. He continued to pursue it. So much of the theological works in the church come from him. And then there's Billy Graham, someone a little bit closer to our century. We know about the life that he led. It's um, said of him that his wife, when he met him in Wheaton College, said that there was a seriousness about him. There was a depth. He was a man who knew God. He was a man who had a purpose, a, de a dedication to his life. He knew where he was going. He wanted to please God more than any man I'd ever known. I think we're well aware of the significance of that man's life. One individual's pursuit of God can influence the nations for God. Have you ever considered before the impact your pursuit of God has? That it's not always about what you're going to do with your life or where you're going to go or what you'll create. They're important things, how you'll serve. But actually, one of the most impactful things is your pursuit of God. God reminds me time and again, Brit, my relationship with you is not for you alone. That's powerful to consider. These little decisions you make to yield to what God wants to do, that following more of him, allowing him to shape your identity, stripping back those lies, those things that we cling to to define us. Every time we surrender to that process, Holy Spirit is creating pathways in us, deepening that in us. As we pursue, as we allow him to do that. On my Sabbath um, this week, I found myself going for a walk up in Millgrove. I had a few people recommend a particular spot. Um, and this spot actually follows an aqueduct. And to be honest, aqueducts are pretty ugly. So I was a little bit concerned when people were recommending it. I was like, that's not really what I had in mind. I was hoping for something a bit more green and you know, lovely. But actually this aqueduct is basically made of concrete and it looks like just this big ugly channel. Anyway, so I'm walking along it. Um, and I, I didn't think about it at the time, but as I was walking, God spoke to me about the fact that actually what made um, the things around it so incredible was that the water runs through this aqueduct. And so, yes, that was there and it was grey and ugly, but actually all around it was incredibly green and there were these beautiful big trees. And there was this moment as I was walking, I got quite far along into the path and I stopped and I could almost smell the rain and the wet and the life in that place. And it was so refreshing. And it just reminded me that when, yeah, these pathways are formed and the Holy Spirit runs down these paths in our hearts, that actually it transforms us. It brings life around us. It is meant to do that. And not just for us, but for others. As I said, I had an image as I was preparing this message, and the second image that came to me is, as these pathways are formed in our hearts, they begin to join together. 
and they create these maps. And these maps are designed to lead us in the kingdom, the kingdom of what God is doing here in Melbourne now. What is he actually up to? How is he wanting to bring life and light? To be a part of releasing the kingdom is allowing him to shape and form these channels in us so that Holy Spirit can not just fill us and change us, but actually overflow and bring life. Jesus said in John 7, 37 to 39, that all you thirsty ones come to me, come to me and drink. Believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being, just like the scripture says. Unless we are filled by the living waters of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised would flow out of us, we will never be the blessing God intended us to be. We will never water and transform the dead and barren deserts around us. As God creates new pathways in you, it releases a pathway for there to be more life that comes from that. As Holy Spirit runs through you, it opens up ways for others to step into that, to see that and be like, oh, that's something I want. I want to see that life and walk in that life and know that life. The Israelites were called forward to be formed as a people who carried, who spoke of, who represented God's presence. They weren't so great at it. And sometimes I think we, we struggle at that too. But Jesus came and he was perfect in that. The way that he lived his life brought life to so many people. If you think about the conversations he's had and the ways that he brought healing. But actually, if you really think about it, his life created a whole new path, right? Because now you and I are sitting here as Gentiles because of what he did. He opened up a way, a pathway for us to know the truth about who God is and to be saved sons and daughters. He created that pathway and he invites us to join in that, to continue that story. And we are equipped with the Holy Spirit to make that happen. This is what he does in every generation. When it says in the verse that he's doing a new thing, that does point to what Jesus did, but it also points to us. It looks different in each generation as he does it. There's something exciting about that. But also it echoes of that bigger story, that reminder, as I said at the start, that God is actually wanting to redeem and restore and bring new pathways and bring water in the wilderness here and now. Isaiah's message in this passage is guiding us towards that personal and corporate reformation of our hearts. There are some of you here who have really felt and sensed that what they're doing over Lent is not just for Lent. Actually, this is transforming and changing your life and it's meant to be from here on in. There's something so powerful in that and significant. As you choose to say, yeah, I want to be a person. I want to have a heart, Father, that you can pour spirit into and overflows from me. I want to keep walking and creating those pathways. That we are called, not just individually, but also as a family, as a church, to understand what it looks like to be vessels for God's spirit. Not to just kind of trickle in and change, but to be overflowing so that others are drawn to God. As it says in verse 21, the end of that passage, that we would be a people formed by God, formed and shaped by him to reflect him, that we would proclaim his praise in that way. And so as I finish up, I just want to ask you in this moment, as we think about what God's been doing over the land and what he may even have been saying to you as I've been speaking, as we come to have communion 
I want to ask you in this present moment, which is what you have control and a decision in, is what is God asking you to be obedient in now? What lie is he saying, hey, don't listen to that anymore? What way is he saying, actually, I want you to try this new method, this new pathway in this relationship? I want you to have that conversation. When you enter work, I want you to have this perspective that I'm actually doing something in there, in and through you. What right now do you want to ask God to show you and do you want to step into and be obedient in? So as we take communion, I encourage you to take the time to grab a cracker, to dip it in the juice, and to spend time around the table asking God and choosing to step into that. Each time you do that, it's like putting a new paver down on the pathway. Not just for you to walk on, but for others. So let's do that together. Let's take this time to seek him and to step into what he wants to do right now because it's significant and it's good.